0: Why do you fell upon if black rock?
1: No, not we
2: don't have rings and blunt of the whole lot of that general strike in 1913. They were batting into the ground in Rings and by the arch belief. I love gone down. Down the tar castle street, looking down the river. Looking
3: at the ships coming from all parts
2: of the world. Hello, welcome to Time Waves, a radio history of Dublin 4. I'm McHanley. And I hope you'll join us for the podcast in the coming weeks and months as we explore the fascinating history of this part of Dublin. Over the next few months, we'll be dipping into the history of Dublin 4 from Pier Street to Ringsend to Irish Town to Sandy Mount and everywhere in between. And we're going to start this inaugural episode with the fascinating story of how the War of Independence affected one small part of Ringsend and the people who lived there a century ago. I'm delighted to be joined on this first episode by Shay Conley, activist, songwriter, chairman of the Rings End Historical Society, and a member of the Market Kelly Co. Committee, and by Turlock Kelly, uh, local resident and researcher of this Timeways, a radio history of Dublin 4 podcast. Lad, you're very welcome to the pro- programme. Uh, first of all, Turlock, um, I'd like to turn to you, and uh, this podcast uh, is obviously new to us here in uh, Rick and Rick Radio. Um, and over the coming months just to give us a little bit of an insight of what we will be covering.
1: Yeah, well, as you said, we're going to be very um, broad-minded in terms of the the area that we're covering. It's going to take in pretty much the whole Dublin 4 and adjacent area. So as you said, everything from Pierce Street really as far as Sandymount. And it is an area that's completely steeped in history and really uh, always has been going back centuries and centuries. So, yeah, we're hoping to uncover both you know, the, obviously, the, the big picture stories that everyone's aware of, but also those little vignettes of local history that are, I think, are particularly vivid and particularly meaningful to people locally. Um,
2: but before we get into the War of Independence and, of course, the huge role that Margaret Keogh played in it, uh, Toril, you some snippets as well to give us on events. Uh, that record uh, this month of history.
1: Yeah, well, what we're going to do is is maybe look at various events that took place, you know, fifty or hundred years ago within the area, uh, and some months and some weeks might be quieter than than others. But uh, there there were, I suppose, two major kind of milestones or major events uh, in the you know, on relevant anniversaries. And um, so, fifty years ago, there would have been quite a lot of of. Uh, tumultuous goings on around Ring's End because it was a very large ESB strike which obviously um, one of the epicenters of it was the power station here um, and that took place in April 1972 um, that was you know really serious disruption very serious issue obviously um, and really serious disruption for the for the entire city um, the, the pickets in Ring's End got quite contentious um, the guardie were fairly active let's say in how they policed it um, and yeah for a while there was hardly a, a candle to be had in Dublin because so many people were looking for emergency sources of lighting because uh, the electricity was was cutting out all throughout the city and um, it was all resolved by the end of April but yeah if you were standing on this spot or near this spot in 1972 that's what you, you would have been looking at or would have been talking about certainly um we have another one to go back more to, to the kind of air to kind of um vicinity and time that we, we'll be talking about today uh, and it's a sporting story it's, it's kind of a, a minor one I suppose but just illuminating in its own way and um, so a hundred years ago everyone in, in Ringsend was looking forward to a big Leinster senior league game between Shamrock Rovers and Shelburne United not Shelburne but Shelburne United who are a different club and um, who were kind of briefly active and briefly prominent uh, in the area and um, they actually were elected to the League of Ireland's I think the following season, they were the reigning Leinster Senior League champions. Uh, but yeah, obviously at that time, that was kind of not internationally, but in, in League of Ireland and domestic terms, a, a golden era in, in Irish football, the early years of the Free State. And so many of those players were were from Ring's End and, and the surrounding area. Um, and if you want to find out who won that one, tune in next time and we'll let you know.
2: Lovely stuff. We look forward to that in the, the coming weeks as well. You're listening to uh, this new history podcast, Time Wales, a radio history of Dublin 4. And joining me this evening was Turok Kelly and Shay Conley. Turok, uh, I I suppose the the main crux of our our, our discussion this evening is all around the War of Independence, and with you, Shay, Margaret Coe, and the role that Margaret played But Turok, first of all, this was an important uh, period in Irish history. So can you just give us a, a little insight into what was happening? in Dublin around that time.
1: Yeah, well, um Dublin was, you know, very active during the the War of Independence. There probably wasn't the the kind of major flying column uh, raids that you would associate with other parts of the country because obviously the, you know, the circumstances and geography were were very different, uh, but there were some major actions taking place here. But below the surface, um as I think Shea will be telling us, there was a huge amount of of activity and membership of not just the IRA, but various other uh, associated bodies like Khamen Amman, um, like the Gaelic League, uh, various trade unions, obviously. We're talking just less than 10 years after the lockout, which, you know, as as you would have heard in our intro, some people say Ringsend really got the brunt of in terms of the, the police response to it. Um, so, yeah, it was a very tumultuous time. Um, I think people are probably familiar with the, the big picture of the War of Independence in terms of what was at stake. But um, what I found just and I should say I'm, I'm not originally from Ring's End. I, I moved here last year and kind of very interested in the history of the of the area I moved to, which is Stella Gardens. And um, so I was looking into that and uncovered a huge amount of activity uh, kind of in and around the truce, which is of 1921, which is kind of the, the end of the, the let's say, the, the, the active fighting period of, of the War of Independence, uh, which is what Shea is going to be talking to us about. But yeah, there were, there were huge numbers of raids on Stella Gardens, which was a relatively new development. It had only gone up around 1915, 1916. Uh, and the people who lived there were massively involved in uh, all those bodies we spoke about. And they were regularly raided uh, by the auxiliaries, by the Black and Tans, by the British Army um, and by... Uh, the Dublin Metropolitan Police as well which all of which would have been pretty um traumatic events because as you know that they, they they didn't tend to use kid gloves when they when they turned up in a community so yeah this was really a, a hive of Republican activity and um, and maybe it's something that people aren't aren't really aware of the extent uh, to which people in rings End and uh, people in Stella Gardens were heavily involved in, in that movement
2: and of course part of uh these raids uh, as well. Um, mm-hmm. Margaret Cole really came to the fore in many ways. Uh, sadly, she was killed, mm-hmm. and of course, there's some debate around how she was killed. So, Shay, I suppose turning to you. Um, first of all, um, who was Margaret Cole? What do we know of Margaret Cole? Uh,
3: well, I certainly didn't know anything about it, it a couple of years until a couple of years ago. Uh, around 1916, uh, or 2016, the centenary year of the 1916 Rising, and story historian Parag, Olga Rourke, was uh, researching for a book of his, and he, he came across Margaret first, And uh, he was able to access some uh, British military records across in England, and uh, that's where her name cropped up. Uh, I don't, I have not encountered anybody who ever heard of her Prior to that, and uh, she, her name never came up in anything, in reference to any of that type of activity or anything in in the area. So part of the got work, and then uh, the two guys, uh, two or three guys, Matt Ward uh, and uh, Michael Bain, they came across it in the book, and they started to do research for her. And uh, from that, a Margaret Cow committee was set up, and that's where I. Heard of it then. Uh, I know the lads. And uh, so what uh, I, I, I was telling a friend of mine, I, I then wrote a song about her. Which you're going to play
2: later on with Paul. Okay.
3: <laughs> well, uh, I, I was fascinated. The fact that this
2: uh, she, she
3: there was a, a small, very small, small grave in Glasnevin, uh, less than a foot high. And uh, just a marking and... Then I found out like there was thousands at her funeral and everything. Uh, it was her, she met her death the night before, uh, the truce. Uh, so, I mean, it, it was a fascinating story for me. And when I wrote the song, this friend of mine uh, played it to his mother. He's living in Ringsend, Anthony O'Riordan. Uh He's married to a local family here in Ringsend. He's from Finglas, but his mother was originally from here. And he was playing the song to her, I from Finglas. Um, she's passed on now, Laura we go to her. Uh, and she, uh, the mother said, uh, that's my aunt, or my grand-aunt, I should say, who he's talking, who he's singing about, and lo and behold, Anthony O'Reardon was actually related to Margaret Kill, and it was just a song that he heard it through. Incredible. So, incredible coincidence, yeah. So, uh, so then, uh, we, we uh, Matt Ward then got in contact with a family member who was in South Africa, which would have been two generations down, and uh, what do you call it? After a couple of efforts to get her, you know, to I'm not sure she wanted to talk so much about it, uh, and then she did, and she uh, she was saying that what Peter down to her was that uh, bullets were. Thrown in the fire, and that uh, ricocheted and hit her, and uh, and that was the record of it. But part of had uncovered as as Torlock was saying there, there was a hive of activity, like to do with black and tans and everything. So what we found out of Margaret Kell was a, was she was only nineteen years of age, and at that stage already she had uh, she was in the trade union. She was, uh, she was an Irish clerical worker. She spoke fluent Irish. She was a member of Cumberland. Uh So she was involved for a, for a woman at that age. She had achieved an amazing amount. Um, mm-hmm. like she was a, across a whole spectrum of resistance. Uh, so we found out that there were raids that night. Uh, on the eve of the truce, and seemingly we we'll just get an image of this that the truce was being negotiated, and it got out that there was going to be. Margaret had been arrested by the by the British Army, and uh, she refused to speak to them in English. She spoke Osage, and seemingly this angered them very much. So, and she was released, uh, and we don't know what type of harassment she may have been getting, but she may have been singled out. Uh, and especially because she was a woman Uh, we can't dismiss that type of factor that was going on in relation to arrests and uh, British Army uh, activity if they weren't adhered to and they they didn't answer the questions Uh, so there was a knock on our door at roughly 10.30 at night and Uh, she was living in Stella Gardens she was living in Stella Gardens yeah yeah. and uh, number 20 Stella Gardens and Mm She went down to answer the door, and she could see no one, and this was because Margaret lived for two days afterwards, right? and she didn't die till uh, she was the last person to die in the world of Independence, and so she was taking the Patrick to but a shot a shot rang out, and uh, she felt as uh, she closed the door, she was closing the door, and she felt a thing down and her back down the bottom of her side there, and she was taking the Patrick to since she died two days later, uh, and. Um, what call it? there was a massive funeral for her uh, as the corte Can I
2: bring it back a bit, Shane? Yeah. Because I'm just fascinated to know that uh, that night when, obviously, you said the bullets were in the fire... She said she threw, threw them into the threw fire. Threw them into the fire. This is, this is what as, the grand aunt As it was being raided by British troops. Yeah. And... Was it the British troops that arrested her there and then, and then she was brought No, no The no. just kind of No, to sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry. I'm clear. So, I mean, th- this was
3: a story that was related back. Yeah. But that story didn't stand up in, in lots of ways. Like, it was, it was, uh, it was July, it was the 10th of July. It was a hot summer's day. Why was there a fire? Would you throw bullets into a fire? And But we had to take what Margaret actually said, told... Uh, the police at the time of how she was shot. And Margaret's words were, and they were reported by in the papers at the time, of what she said was that she, there was a knock on the door, she went down to answer it, she looked outside, saw no one, and as she was turning to go back inside, a shot rang out and she was hit. And then she was taken to hospital. So those are in Margaret's words and they were released to journalists and that's what was printed in the paper. So uh so I mean that for us is, is, is the most logical story and Mar if Margaret hadn't got a voice at the time, those were the words that of Margaret Cow that she told at the time. There was uh there was an inquest after that after she died, but uh no none of the journalists were allowed into it. Uh it was held in camera and uh so, but when she died, the funeral then came by, and the British soldiers, our oh, beggars, bush, barracks came out and actually saluted because we were at, at, the truce was in at this stage, and it was a massive funeral, thousands and thousands, and uh, then the civil war happened, and I presume everybody just shut up, nobody said that anymore, and nobody Margaret just faded into, into oblivion, until this was unearthed, and so last year. On the centenary of her death, we we had a headstone erected to her
2: on the walkway just opposite our home in Selling Gardens. Incredible, really. Uh, I suppose the Civil War happening, as you said, faded her her memory so much. And um, that must have been difficult for the family. Is there any notes uh, regarding that? Uh
3: no, there's not really. I mean, you're talking about what's uh there's it's two generations away now. The the elder members, uh, so it's very much here today. But I think you may find this in other things like what Cor- what Torlock is uncovering uh, as well, is that uh, everybody did, and I I presume that the Civil War could have been so savage, that people thought it was best just to close up, not pass it down to another generation in case it was gonna go on for the safety of their children. It was done, it was settled, and just try and
2: get on in life. Important now though to keep Margaret's memory alive, and as you said, uh, there has been events put in place uh, to do that, um, I take it that there will be more? Yeah, there well, it
3: will well, be an annual event, yeah. Mm. And we're just discussing it today in the WhatsApp group, exactly what we will do. Uh, I personally, I would love to have, so we are entering into a whole new phase of politics, I would have love to have Margaret's anniversary to be a, a place and a time where some keynote speeches can be made as we discuss the future of the island together. And uh, I've been in contact with some unionist people who uh, might... Uh, might come down except for the relevance of where it is and what she stands for may be a difficulty but that that is the type of thing that we would like to do is in to sort of some keynote spee- speeches so the Stella Gardens Cole could become a place. Keynote speeches were huge a hundred years ago you know where people flocked to see what was going to be said or where. so and with that national conversation then we're all going to have.
2: Is there a memorial or honour, like, for like, you're living in cellar Gardens, is, is, is when you come to number twenty, is there a plaque or directly like
1: opposite it, more or less? So there's just a little kind of there's a little uh, green there and there's a little walkway uh, up to the to the dollar and there's a little plaque there on the wall, which is, uh, which was as as Shay was saying, was installed on the on the centenary um, events last year and is is very nice to see and is a uh, very nice and tastefully done, I think, as well.
2: And from yourself as a new resident, uh, a new resident there as well, your neighbors do do, do people talk about it or like that? Uh,
1: they did last year. Uh, yeah, um, I I was I don't know if there was a huge amount of awareness previously. Although some of them have been there since this would have been <laughs> living memory, or at least their families uh, would have been. So yeah, I did. I did actually. I, I believe that you know whatever happened and and. There are two competing theories as as you say but we know what happened probably around midnight on the on the uh on on that on the night before the truce uh i I did actually because it's just a few doors down from my house i did just kind of wander out and, and reflect you know 100 years exactly 100 years afterwards um and yeah there was there was there were commemorative events they were very well attended and yeah there was a sense i think that people in the area are really really um, keen to, to reclaim Margaret and, and her legacy as, as, you know, one of their, of, of their own and as someone who stood up for what she believed in.
2: Paul, do you want another note on it as well? Uh, yeah, it was just a, a short uh, intervention as why the plaque wasn't uh, put on the actual house. Now, the owner of uh, the committee tied in with Connors was, was open to having it put there, but I think the thinking was to get the walkway Renamed Margaret Kilroy or Walkway, wasn't it? Well, yeah, and Calway. that was the thinking behind putting the plaque on the actual river wall, where people could actually more, more people would see it. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Uh, all right. Um, with it, but her, her name, you know, is 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 certainly alive and well, Um and I'm sure from the historical point of view, it was uh, it's good even if it took a hundred years for or name to come out there for the people of Ring's End uh, to have. I feel, uh, very, feel very proud of
3: what you've done. Yeah. And that she's part of our community. We, we feel extremely proud.
2: Um, do you think there's, there's more of a connection, Shay, with, with the past in Ring's End than there is in other parts of Dublin?
3: I, I think that's yet to be found out. From our, 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 this is basically, we're just starting it now, and the same with the Ring's End historical... Society, which is just a fledgling group that we got off the ground some months back, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, Irish uh, town. Like I mean, the fact that Irish town got its name because uh, Dublin was very much Dublin city was the seat of the British British governance here, and they had to go outside. Uh, they, they had to go. The Irish could only go in there during the day to work and trade, and then they had to go outside. So the outside was Irish town. So uh, that's going back to the 13th century. And uh, so, like, there would have been major bad blood, if I may say, between the seat of the seat of British rule in Ireland, which was just a mile, a mile and a half across
2: the road. Would you say that's why there was so much support for the IRA and, and, and the nationalist movement in and as I said, it's, it's yet to be proved how,
3: exactly how broad it was but you know, from early inspection it looks like there was a hive of activity here and I suppose from a strategic point of view like with Collins and all them they, they would have seen any place a mile out mm. on, the, on the outskirts of the British Sea uh, w- would have been a good strategic move to have and to collect intelligence and all that so, but, but I, I think that uh, uh, Ring's End and Irish uh, Town, uh, you know, there would have been a, a... I imagine you referenced it there, the 1913, where Ring's End took a, an awful lot of brunt of that from the police, that uh, there would have been a resentment built up over centuries in relation to British rule here. I think it was inevitable when you think the logic of that, but we have yet to uncover exactly how broad that was and how deep that was. That's
2: incredible kind of going over over uh, 100 years at this stage that there's more maybe to come out. Yeah
1: well I suppose it makes sense if you think of you know these were people were fighting a clandestine guerrilla war so they weren't necessarily mm. going to advertise everything they did or everything they remember of. Um, yeah but I, I think as Shay was saying as as just from the little bit of scratching the surface I've done as, as just kind of an enthusiast yeah I was amazed to find the the extent and the depth that seems to be there in terms of membership of various organizations i think what would be interesting would be to see how far that resentment continued or didn't continue into places like sandy which obviously had a completely different relationship to the british state um, and completely different loyalties probably and um, given that you know we are in such a constricted area one is on top of the other but yet they're like worlds apart in terms of the type of people who lived there and the type of lives that those people led, uh, so it'll be interesting to to contrast that as 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 we research uh, further into the future on on that period of Irish history here. Mm.
2: Shay, is there any plans this year? What's the plans this year for to commemorate? Uh, well, we'll, cer-
3: we'll certainly be commemorating it. There'll be a replay and ceremony and everything. Yeah. But uh, just we uh, we're just discussing at the moment on the group. Of exactly, but that'll be the minimum and the least of.
2: Would uh, that be kind of the tenth, twelfth of July? Twelfth of July. July. Yeah. Yeah, we know that date quite well. <laughs> oh, we would in Ireland, yeah, yeah. we and would.
3: I know it will be ironic if we could get uh, a Unionist traditional, from the uh, a person from the Unionist tradition to actually probably say a few words along with somebody else or something. Uh, but uh, you know, it'll definitely be some type of command. The exact details will be forthcoming shortly. Yeah.
2: Well, we look forward to hearing them, Shay. And uh, I know that you've uh, a lot of events coming up as well in the future that you're you're going to come into us and uh, speak about that are happening. Uh, in fact, uh, this year, um, can you just give us a small before we head off? Can you give us a small? Well, the, the, into the, yeah. Well.
3: Uh, on Bloomsday, we have a number of events. It'll be the first time Rings held an event because of the, uh, another unfolding. Uh, that uh, story that James Joyce's first date was with uh, Nora Barnagel, Bar- Bar- his wife, uh, his future wife, was in Rings Park and that's where he met her, and, uh, and it's just building on that connection, and uh, what references, references James Joyce and Ring's End. We, n- we never did have a Bloomsday event, uh, but we're having one with this one, and we're launching, a, on the same day, we're launching a, a, a map and tour guide of Ring's End for 15 historical spots that we've all researched, and are ready for print, and that'll be launched here in the center on the 16th of June. Uh, but we, we have a number of fledgling groups as well, like uh, murals, committees and all that, and it's basically about trying to retain our identity. Uh, and we're not known as Silicon Docks or, or Google Town or anything. That we, we have a rich history, a rich heritage here, and we want to give people a sense of belonging, a sense of density uh, in very challenging times for the community.
2: Indeed. We look forward to to uh, those events uh, around Joyce, but uh, today's um, discussion has been around Margaret Goe and the War of Independence and the raise especially on Stella Gardens. And Shay, as you said to us, uh, you wrote a song about uh, Margaret Coe Yeah. And um, yourself and Paul, uh, Paul's gonna play the whistle, you're gonna play the guitar. Are you both singing or mm-hmm. No? No. I'm um, gonna no, sing her own song
3: we sing one song. I'm very harsh after talking to you, all you know, this time,
2: Mick. Yeah. I'm only kidding. Just mind your We'll try, we'll
3: try in a horsey voice. which Can to tell
0: you a story now About a girl named Margaret Coe From a little spot in Irish town Just 21 when she was gone down by the putters of the crown with their empire tumbling down their last act before they left the shore was to kill a woman on her door hey Mary, can we say hello we're so sorry what we did We'll never, ever Forget you again In 1921 On a warm summer's night They came marauding With all their might One last act of profanity Of Britain's cruel policy For the people and their pride Oh, a pride that's never died Oh, then we know what a brave young woman you were long ago Hey Margaret can we say hello we're so sorry but we didn't know can we pledge to you this love But we'll never ever forget you again And there's something that we must do In memory of you As a member of coming among So proud to speak your native shame not knowing your name when you should have
2: Absolutely brilliant, Paul. Well done. Great song there. Uh, all about Margaret Keogh. Uh, you've been listening to us here on Time Waves, a radio history of the Dublin uh, for over the last half an hour uh, or so. And uh, again, my thanks to Shay Connolly, uh, to Turek Kelly and to Paul Brannock and to uh, Dylan Clayton on sound as well we'll be back on Tuesday the 17th of May with our next instalment of Time Waves a radio history of Dublin 4 from myself and Mick take care and have a great month take care bye bye That general strike in 1913, they were batting into the ground and rings Rangoon by the harsh police. I love going down
3: down the Tar Castle Street, looking down the river, looking at the ships coming from all parts of the world.